Good evening. My name is Jarrett Stevens. I'm one of the lead pastors here at Soul City Church. I love the question that Jeannie just asked about your first real job and your first real paycheck. Hopefully you can remember back to that. I remember uh, what mine was, my first real job. I had some odd jobs. My first real job, I got a real paycheck, like printed with my name on it, was when I was 15 years old and I worked for Blockbuster Video. Friends, I knew how to pick them. I had a career at Blockbuster Video. If only they would have stayed in business. And so I was, I was a CSR. Um, for those of you who aren't in the industry, that's a customer service representative. <laughs> that was me, wearing my tan khakis and my chambray shirt every day to work. And I had a little name badge to boot. And I remember exactly what I made. In fact, I, I, when I was writing this message, I thought, there's no way that I remember exactly what I made. So I went back, thanks to the internet, and found out what minimum wage was in California when I had that job. And I was right. I made $4.25 an hour. And I couldn't believe I got paid that much money. I was so excited to make $4.25 an hour working at Blockbuster Video. And I remember, I don't know if you remember like your first official real paycheck at the first real job you had. You don't get it right away. It takes a couple weeks for it to like go through the system. And so that first check is larger than it like normally should be because you have a couple weeks worth of pay. And so when I got that first check from Blockbuster Video, I was the richest I'd ever been in my life up to that point. Like, I could not believe how much money I had from Blockbuster Video. And I got to take home two free VHS cassette tapes every night. Friends, that's as good as it gets. So I had all this money, and again, it was the richest I'd ever been because, I think about it, it's not like I had any real debt at 15 years old. It's not like I had, like, any dependence at that point. I mean, my budget was really simple. I lived on 59-cent tacos from Taco Bell and 99-cent Big Gulps. It's amazing that I'm still here today. I, my life was so simple, and so for the first time in my life, I had real money. I had real money. The only problem was I had no idea what it was really for, and ultimately, as we're going to look at in a few moments, who it was really from. I had real money, but I had no idea what it was really for and who it was actually really from. See, at 15 years old, for the first time in my life, I had wealth, but I lacked wisdom. Maybe you can relate. Maybe you've met someone. You ever met anyone who has a lot of wealth, but a little bit of wisdom? We call them, a lot of them celebrities in our culture today. <laughs> and we wonder, we go, oh, that's not how I would do it. But the truth is, all of us probably have a little bit more wealth than we do Wisdom. See, wisdom you can have without wealth. In fact, the people that we most respect in the world typically are people that have great wisdom but little wealth. Wealth without, uh, or wisdom without any wealth is actually a really powerful thing. But wealth without wisdom is a dangerous thing. It's a dangerous thing. And so that's why for the next couple weeks, we just want to talk honestly and openly about what God has to say about wealth and wisdom and our resources and God's heart for us and how he might transform not only how we view him and money, but what we do with what he's entrusted us with. We're going to get really, really practical as we learn from the Bible together. And in fact, at the end of this message, I'm going to give you a very practical challenge, one that's going to push you a little bit, but one I believe that if you're willing to take God up on it, may literally transform your relationship with God and how you view and what you do with your resources. See, when I was 15 years old, you know, I had more wealth than I had wisdom. A funny thing began to happen to me, a condition that I began to suffer from, that you actually suffered from too. You just didn't realize it. I didn't realize it at the time until much later, but I had a very serious condition that happened to me. See, when I received that first large paycheck from Blockbuster Video, I began to suffer from a condition known as affluence amnesia. 
affluence amnesia. Basically, here's what it means. The, the more and more and more I would get, the more and more and more I would forget. The more and more and more I would get of resources of money in my life, you know, the more checks, and then I'd go on to the next job and then the next job, and I worked at the mall and I delivered pizzas and I did it all. And the more and more and more I would get, do you know what would happen to me? The more and more and more I would forget what my money was actually for. And most specifically, who it was from. And I would begin to forget, actually, that I was actually doing okay when I had less. See, I forgot that. I thought that I needed more and more and more, and that's when I'd be happy. But I was actually doing fine for years with less. I began to forget the more and more that I would get, that it's actually all a gift from God. It's affluence amnesia. All of us suffer from it. We live in a culture that is blinded by it. The more and more we get, the more and more we forget what it's really all about. And the truth that we've learned about God from reading the Bible together and we've talked about here at Soul City Church is simply this. When it comes to God, when it comes to you and me, he is always faithful. That's the good news about God. God is always faithful. And here's the bad news about you and me. We are always forgetful. God is, is faithful. He is utterly faithful to his core. We can see it. We're going to see it here in a few moments. You could step back for a moment from your life. You would see that God is faithful. God is faithful. God is faithful. And you and me, we're forgetful. We have affluence amnesia. The more we get, the more we forget the heart of God and what it's really all about. And this is a human condition. This is a part of our story. And it has been for a very, very, very long time. In fact, I want to show, I want to walk us through a passage in the Bible together right now that shows not only the heart of God, but reveals our own heart and our tendency towards forgetfulness, even in the face of God's faithfulness. So I want us to look at a, an Old Testament passage tonight from the Bible. So I'm going to ask you, if you brought a Bible, to open it up to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8. I want everyone, actually, if you would, to grab a Bible. If you didn't bring your own, we got you covered. There's a blue Bible right in front of you. You can turn to page 127. In the Blue Bible, at least, page 127. A fun thing, Friday night, Gene and I were having dinner with some friends, and there was a person there from Soul City Church. We were out in the suburbs, and there was someone that actually goes to our church, started coming here last summer. And in the middle of dinner, just a couple, six, seven of us, in the middle of dinner, she goes, hey, I need to let you know, um, you know, I, 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 st I stole something from church. And I thought, oh, man, now this dinner just became an intervention. Like, what's going on here? And she goes, I really did it. And I just wanted to tell you guys, I stole a Bible from church. And I thought, that's so awesome. It's so cool to hear her say that, because here's what we say all the time. We, I, I have seen my life change and my friend's life change, and I've seen the world quite literally changed by the transformational teaching of this book. And there's no reason that you shouldn't have access to it. And so if you are seriously trying to explore who God is and what it means to have a relationship with him, and you don't have one of these, we can solve that problem for you. Steal a Bible from church tonight. Now, if you were stressed about us talking about money in church, your pastor just told you to steal from church. So that should hopefully put you at ease a little bit. So I want you to actually open this up to Deuteronomy chapter 8, and we're going to read together. In fact, would you grab a pen? We're going to circle a couple words that repeat again and again and again throughout this passage and throughout our lives. Let me give you quick context to where we're at. The people of God had been led by a leader from God, Moses, out of the land of Egypt. While they were in Egypt, they were enslaved. They were building the Egyptian empire off the sweat of the backs of the Israelites. And so Moses had been raised up by God and used by God to deliver them into a promised land that God had promised them for generations, actually. Now, what should have only been a couple months' journey ended up taking them 40 years because God allowed them to wander through the wilderness because of their great forgetfulness. 
Now, even in the midst of their great forgetfulness of who God is, he continued to demonstrate his faithfulness, as we're going to see here in a moment. So they're about to finally enter into this promised land. After all these years of wandering, after all those years of slavery, they're about to walk into the promised land. And God says, okay, before you step one foot in there, let me let you know what's true of you and what's true of me. And so God has this to say to them, Deuteronomy 8.10. And he says, listen, you're going to go in. And when you've eaten and are satisfied, listen, don't forget, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. In other words, go in and enjoy it. I created it for you. But when you enjoy it, praise God, thank God, acknowledge God for what he has actually given to you. Verse 11, I want you to say this word back to me when I pause. Be careful that you do not what? Forget. You might want to circle that. And every time we say that word, circle that in this passage. God's revealing our heart right now. He says, listen, be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands and his laws and his decrees that I'm giving to you this day. Don't forget me. You're about to enjoy things greatly. Don't forget who I am. Verse 12, because otherwise, here's what's going to happen. When you eat and you're satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become what? Proud. And you will forget the Lord your God. <laughs> Here's what's going to happen. You're going to go in and you're going to enjoy it. You're going to enjoy great feasts. You're going to have homes. You're going to kind of plant roots. You're going to see God continue to bless you. And don't forget me in the midst of this. Because what's going to happen is you're not only going to forget me, but you're going to forget where this all came from and what it's all about. And you're going to begin to believe that it's yours and that you brought it about. God says, don't forget Lord, your God. Remember, I'm the one who brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Do you remember? God says, let me just, let's just rewind the tape back to my faithfulness to you. I'm the one who rescued you out of Egypt. Verse 15, he led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. It gets a very low score on TripAdvisor. It's not a great place to visit. God goes on saying, okay, let me remind you of my faithfulness. Do you remember? I'm the God who brought water out of a hard rock. Now, what's he referring to here? There was a moment where there was no water to be found. They were in a dry and waterless land, wandering, hundreds and thousands of people wandering through the desert. And God says, I will do the impossible for you. And Moses strikes a rock with his staff, and water begins to pour out of a rock like a geyser. God's like, hey, remember that one time with the rock and the water? That was me. Remember that extraordinary thing I did for you? When did it become ordinary? When did you forget my faithfulness? Verse 16, he gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known. If you know the story that there was a time where there's not only water, but then they had no food. They were in the middle of the wilderness. There was no food for them. There wasn't enough for all of these people to be fed. God said, it's okay. Well, I'm the God of the universe. I created everything. I'm going to literally make it rain right now. 
I'm going to make it rain bread products. And so what ended up happening is manna fell from the sky like a dew. And when it settled on the ground, it was bread that they could eat. God said, listen, I am the one who provided bread from the sky for you. Imagine every time this winter in Chicago, every time it snowed, it snowed down bread products. We would all weigh 100 pounds more than we currently do. God said, yeah, you remember that? The water from the rock, bread from the sky. That's who I am. I have been faithful to you every step of the way. Your ancestors had never even known or seen this kind of extraordinary provision. And I did it all to humble and test you so that in the end, it might go well with you. So that in the end, you might remember me. Verse 17. But you may say to yourself, after all of this, you may say to yourself, my power, my power, and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. See, God reveals our heart. He says, hey, remember all the impossible things, the extraordinary things I did for you? Remember how they became ordinary to you? And then remember how you forgot all about my faithfulness? Well, you know what comes right after your forgetfulness? You know, what, what gratitude erodes into is entitlement. And so you've not only forgotten me, but you've now taken credit for what I've provided for you. You said that it's by your hands, because oh, you're the one who formed these mountains and these lakes and all of it. You did this, okay. You're the one who gave yourself breath and the ability to work and provide for yourself. God says, this is what is so amazing about our affluence amnesia is the more and more and more we get, the more and more God provides, the more and more we forget. And we believe the lie that it's actually ours, that we did this and we deserve this. God is speaking into the heart of our culture from thousands of years ago. Because our culture, that is the message of our culture. Me, 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 mine, 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 get as much as I can, hold on to it as tight as I can. Am I wrong? That's, what, that's the message around us. And God's saying, yeah, I know. That's part of the human condition. When you lose sight of my faithfulness, it leads to forgetfulness. And then it leads to entitlement. And you believe that it's yours. Pride. So God says, listen, verse 18, remember the Lord your God. Remember who this is all from and what it's all for. Remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. God has kept his promise. Do you see? Even the land you're about to go into is another sign of my faithfulness that hundreds and hundreds of years before I spoke, and I am being faithful to that to this very day. Don't forget me because I am the one who gives you the ability to produce wealth. I think what's so fascinating about this passage is in it, what maybe you might expect the Bible to say or God to say is God to condemn people for having a meal or God to condemn people for enjoying the land, God to condemn people for having a home or for producing wealth. Actually, quite the contrary. God's saying, look, when these things happen, when you build fine homes, when you enjoy the land, when your crops multiply, when there's gold and silver added, when you increase in wealth, will you increase in wisdom? Will you remember who I am? I'm not going to condemn these things. I just don't want you to forget who I am and where it came from. Because before long, you're the one that's going to take the credit. 
for all that I've done. This is part of human condition. And so sometimes, sometimes God allows us to wander through wildernesses to remind us of his faithfulness. I know that can seem so counterintuitive, but sometimes God allows us to stumble and fumble around so that we might find him again in his goodness and his provision in our lives. Now, Gene and I have, have experienced the faithfulness of God, or rather, I should say, been more aware of the faithfulness of God, really like never before in each of our lives, in our marriage, over the last five years. Uh, about five years or so ago, uh, we were really living in the, the heart of our dream, what we'd had for our lives. We were living in our promised land. We were living in Atlanta, and, and we had uh, built a home down there. We'd actually renovated a home and built it, and it was beautiful, and it had Jeannie's touch all over it. We loved that home. And, and we actually were in one of the greatest school districts in the entire Southeast, one of the top schools in all of Atlanta, top five school in all the Southeast. I mean, our kids were about to go to the best school imaginable. We loved our friends, our community. We were part of a great church. And at the end of the day, it was always 50 degrees warmer there than it was here. God was there and it was well with our souls. And we thought we were going to stay there forever. And then we got this undeniable nudge from God saying, I have something so much better for you. These things aren't bad. I just have more for you. I have more for you. And it's in Chicago, the frozen, forgotten land. <laughs> and, and so what we had to decide to do was to step out in faith and say, okay, God, then we are going to put your faithfulness to the test. Because all of these are good things, but God, you're calling us to more. And so we had an exchange to do. We went into the places that employed us, the church that we worked at, and we said, and here's the deal. God is doing this. It's undeniable in our life. We're going to be moving back to Chicago to start this church. So that means we're not going to work for you anymore. That doesn't mean you don't have to pay us anymore, but we need to let you know that we're not going to work for you. And they kindly um, stopped paying us uh, eventually after we left. And what we had to do was kind of pack up all of our stuff. And we really honestly, in so many ways, cashed in our life for the cause of Jesus Christ and for the sake of this church, gladly. It was difficult, it was challenging, but it was our joy to do because we knew that God was inviting us into a deeper level of faithfulness, that we were gonna see his hand provide for us like never before. And so we kind of made a plan and lived off of the savings that we had raised up at that point. We really came to God and said, okay, God, really, now we're not getting paychecks. And God, I don't know how long it's going to be till we ever kind of get a paycheck again. We had no idea what, how long it was actually going to be. It ended up being a year and a half, 18 months that we went without a paycheck. And maybe you've been doing that for a while and you've kind of learned the ways you've seen God's provision like never before. Hey, this is a truth that we learned during that time when we weren't receiving a paycheck. It is really easy for God to be everything when all you have is nothing. True? Have you ever had those times where all you have is nothing? It's real easy to see God's provision in your life. Like, oh my God, how is this going to happen? Thank you, God, for groceries. Thank you, God, for this. And I called up every other church I'd spoken at, every camp I'd spoken at, and said, you're going to hire me to speak this year. You're going to make a camp up just so I can speak at it, to pay me twice as much as you've ever paid me before. And I did everything I can do, but at the end of the day, I said, God, our hands are open. You have to prove your faithfulness to us again. Show us, God. Show us, God. And I'm so thankful he did. And I don't know if we would have seen it had we not stepped out in faith. I don't know if we would have seen it like we have 
over the last five years. And in the midst of us trying to do the best we can to to trust God and we see him providing for us in so many amazing and powerful ways and so many small and ordinary ways, that in the midst of us kind of cashing it all in and saying, okay, God, we are going to trust you like never before. We made a commitment to ourselves and to our marriage and ultimately to our family, but really to God. And we said, okay, in this season, when we are literally living off of nothing, off of the provision of God and whatever he brings to us, let's take God up on the practices and principles taught in the Bible. And let's make sure that we never stop giving back to God, even when it seems like there's nothing coming in. And we made a commitment. It was like, at this point, it's like, okay, if we're going to go this far, why not just go all the way? And so God, we are going to tithe to you all the way through. Even when everything in our heart says it's not going to work, the math simply does not work. We are committed, God, to giving you our first and our best, trusting that you're going to provide for us every step of the way. Why? Because you already have. You already have, and you already have, and you already have, and we don't want to forget your faithfulness to us. And so we made a commitment to do this thing called tithing. Maybe you've heard it. It's kind of a churchy word. A lot of people fear it when they hear it, but they don't really even know what it means. Here's what that concept, that principle means, taught throughout the Bible as, a, as a, a guideline, a principle for giving back to God. Basically, the way it breaks down in the Bible, several examples of it is that you set aside a portion, a percentage. Oftentimes, the tithe refers to a tenth of what you have, and you offer your first and best to God. And so when we had very, very, very little coming in, we said, God, even when there's very little coming in, we are still committed to giving you our first and our best. Our very first and our best, God, of what we have, we are going to set up. So we like set up our online giving here at the church so that we could give faithfully to Soul City Church, ultimately to God, even when it felt like there was very little coming in. Because we wanted to put God to the test, to just see his faithfulness on display in our lives. We actually leaned into heavily a a passage from the Bible, a little teaching that I want to read to you now, and I want you to actually read, and I want you to consider for yourself, as we considered it like never before for ourselves four or five years ago, I want you to consider it for yourself tonight. And it's found in the book of Malachi, chapter 3. So we're going to jump to the right a little bit, page 670. I want you to turn there. Keep your pen with you. Page 670, Malachi, chapter 3. Listen to this concept of what it means to give back to God and why it's so important for our lives and for our faith to combat our forgetfulness, to become more aware of God's faithfulness. So listen to this. In Malachi 3, here's what happens. Here's where we're at. We are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years after the promised land. People of God, right, enter into the promised land, and guess what happens after a short little while? They forget God's faithfulness. And so goes the cycle of the entire Old Testament, They forget, and then they confess, and God brings them back in, and then they forget again, and God forgives them, and then they forget again. And so here they are, having forgotten the faithfulness of God yet again. And so God says, okay, listen, I want you to have a practice, a a principle, a rhythm that you can live out in your life to help you remember my goodness and my faithfulness to you. And it's this idea of the tithe, which I just talked about a second ago. This is Malachi 3.10. Now listen, though, to what God says here. He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. In other words, don't hold back from God what you've committed to God. Now, if you've committed in your heart, God, we are committed. As Gene and I said, God, we're committed to giving you this percentage and we're not going to waver. God says, bring it all. Don't 
Second guess yourself. Don't kind of talk yourself out of it. Don't let your finances speak for you. You speak to them and say, no, we're going to bring all of it to God into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Now the metaphor there is actually quite literal. It was a real storehouse. See, in that day, it wasn't so much about uh, coins and wealth and that sort of thing. People brought their harvest. They brought the best of what they'd actually planted from the land that God had given them to God. And so to bring the full tithe to the storehouse literally meant bring it to the people, bring it to the storehouse so that your gift will be a gift to others. Your little part, your little first and best that you bring to God isn't all about you ultimately because your little gift becomes a part of the big thing that God is doing to meet the needs of those around you. So God says, don't hold back. Don't hold back. Bring it all to the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And then God says this. You might want to underline this. Test me in this. The God of the universe says, test me in this. I, I dare you to put me to the test on this one. I get that your heart is flooded with cynicism and skepticism, but this is between you and God. He says, test me on this. Says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there won't even be enough room to store it. God says, test me on this. Test me on this. I get it. I get all of your fears and all the things pulling at your attention and your affection for me. I get that everything in you wants to talk you out of trusting me and my faithfulness, but you stay true to this. You bring this to me. You set it aside and bring me your first and best and just watch what I do. Watch me open up the floodgates of heaven and lavish your life with blessing. Not just blessing in direct response to what you give, but an awareness of the greater gift and blessing of God that surrounds you, that your affluence causes you to forget. God says, listen, you test me in this, and I'm not contractually bound to you like you give me 10, I give you 100. Anyone who preaches that is not preaching from the word of God. That math doesn't exist in the Bible. God says, you be faithful to me and look out for my faithfulness in your life you will be reminded and you will be overwhelmed by my faithfulness to you when you are faithful with your little part. You just show up, God, I'm going to set this aside. I'm going to make it a commitment to bring you my first and my best. And for Gene and I, we said, okay, the Bible seems to keep mentioning this tithe, this tenth, and so that's where we started. God, we're going to set aside a tenth. We're going to set aside this tithe for you and every month, no matter what's in the account, every month, God, we are going to give this to you. But in the midst of that season of God really showing us and reminding us of his faithfulness, we kind of went even a little bit further with God, felt prompted by God to even go a little bit further than what we were comfortable with. And we said, you know what, God would be so amazing. What a vision for our life is that we would love to live into is, God, we would actually love to not stop at the tithe, but every year, every year to increase what we give to God and to give more next year than we gave this year and to give more than the year after that and more the year after that. So much so, in fact, that over the course of our lifetime, our plan and our goal is that we will actually give more to God than we live off of ourselves. Because why? Because we are so overwhelmed by the faithfulness of God. And we want to have the kind of marriage and we want to raise the kind of kids 
that don't see parents that are freaked out by their finances, but are freed up in their finances. And who trust God enough to say, you're going to provide because you've already provided. And it may not be when I want or how I want, but it will be best for me. And so our commitment was, okay, God, we are going to increase. We're going to keep stepping out in faith each year to the point of where it's uncomfortable. And if it feels even stepping out another percentage, another point feels comfortable, we'll go even further than that, God. We're going to trust you. are going to keep inviting us into a deeper level of faithfulness on our part so that we can see the deeper faithfulness, God, of your heart revealed in our lives. Now, listen, I, the reason that is so important to me and to us is not because I am so spiritual. It's because I know my heart, friends. And I know how prone to forgetfulness I am. I do this as a discipline to save myself from myself. Because I know if left to myself, I am not running to the bank account to just throw money up to God. I am running to the sale rack at Gap and buying another stupid blue cardigan that I convince myself is different from this and the three other blue cardigans I already own because I have affluence amnesia. I think, you know, I need more. And the more I get, then I forget who it's really from and what it's really all for. And so giving for me, giving back to God for us, reminds us that it's actually a gift from God. That's what giving back to God does. Is it's, it's my way of reminding. It's our way of reminding ourselves. It's our little monthly discipline. It's our little joy to say, God, we give back to you to remind us that it's all a gift from you. These are all just signs of your faithfulness to us, God. So it's our joy to give back to you because it helps us remember who you really are and that you have always been faithful in our lives. And as we are praying and planning for this series for these couple weeks that we're going to be talking honestly from the Bible about money in our hearts and our lives. We were praying with our stewardship team. And stewardship is kind of a, a Bible-y word that really means how you leverage what's been entrusted to you, what you do with what's been entrusted to you. That's what stewardship means. And we have a team of volunteers. They're all volunteers here from this church, godly, wise people that Gene and I are honored and privileged to sit in a circle with that pray about and lead out in all the financial decisions of our church, all the major financial decisions of our church, we have a team that does that. So it's not just one person behind a door making decisions. It's a community of people listening to God and making godly decisions about the direction of our finances as a church. In fact, it was our stewardship team that really led us and helped us form a pattern that's been part of our church from day one, that our church would actually tithe. Our church actually invests 10% of our budget every year into ministries and resources that we see God moving through. So as a church, we practice the tithe principle, the percentage principle, because we've seen how God has blessed our lives. And so we were talking through this series and this time and how we really want to help people grow in their giving back to God. And the stewardship team said, hey, you know what would be really cool to do, what would be really powerful for us to do, is over the course of these three weeks, this exchange series, for us to not once pass the bucket in this service, to not kind of pass the offering bucket in the service. And, and, and here's why. For all the people who maybe are cynical or skeptical, I mean, you could already see that coming, right? 
Because here we are, we're going to tell stories about our lives and how God has led us to give and increase our tithe. And then I'm going to teach you specifically from the Old Testament. And I'm going to tell you these stories of how God provided for and how you can trust God. And then, right then, we're going to tell you a really sweet and compelling story about an ordinary person from our church who's done that. And then we'll pass the bucket. And if need be, we'll pass it again. And I know it can feel like manipulation. It can feel like, you know, man, I'm not sure if God was in that or... Y'all just orchestrated that. And so we said, you know what? The greater growth here is far more important than passing a bucket for a couple of weeks. Because here's what we found actually every time we pass the bucket is there's three types of hands that grab onto that bucket when it gets passed every week. And we believe it. It's a part of our worship. But during this money series, we're just not going to pass a bucket. Is that okay with you? Because here's why. Here's why. Here's what we found. Every time we pass the bucket, there's one of three types of people that grab the bucket and pass it on to the next person. We call them, I call them, there's grippers, and then there's tippers, and then there's givers. When the bucket gets passed, inevitably, you're going to have one of those three responses. Grippers, tippers, and givers. Now, let me just explain what I mean here. Grippers are the people for whom when the bucket comes by, you go, "Mm -mm, no, mm -mm, pass. Not going to do that. It looks like there's only quarters in there anyway. Pass. Not going to do that. I've worked hard for what I have. I'm, I'm not ready to give it yet. I'm not ready to trust God with that yet. I'm not going to give here. I'm not, I have worked hard. I don't give anywhere. I don't even give to NPR. I <laughs> am holding on to this as tight as possible. I, and maybe that's how you were raised. That's what your parents actually taught you. Get as much as you can and hold on to it as tight as you can. You may be a gripper. You've been so afraid to trust God and release the grip of your stuff. And can I just say a word to you? I get it. I totally get it. That's my natural inclination too. I want to just kind of hold on to the stuff because I'm afraid that there's not enough or that I'm going to lose it. Can I just propose to you that maybe it's not you that has a grip on your finances, but that your finances actually have a grip on you. That you're, you're actually being held back by them because you're so afraid or you're so stubborn or you're so proud. And so we don't want to pass a bucket and just have you cross your arms and go, no, not me, not this time. I'm going to be a gripper. Every time the bucket's passed, there's grippers. And then there's tippers. And this is kind of what I grew up. I grew up going to church, and this is what I tended to see in church, was tippers. It's a really sweet notion. It's a really sweet idea. Basically, the way it boils down to is the bucket gets passed, and I go, shoot, what do I have? All right, I'll just grab what I have in my what? What do you have in your Okay, we've got seven bucks. Throw it in. Attaboy, God. Good job. Here you go. Job well done. It starts from a sincere place, but it doesn't come from a place of intentionality. Instead of giving what God has put in your heart, you just give what God's put in your wallet. Again, great place to start, but that's not actually the life God has called you to live. There's no faithfulness in tipping. Great intention, but it lacks follow-through. And it lacks really the opportunity for God to grow you into what he really is inviting you to be, and that's a giver. That's someone who says, okay, I may not have as much as I want, but for whatever I have, I'm actually going to trust God with it. I'm going to set aside a percentage, and I'm going to give it to him. I'm going to faithfully and joyfully actually give it to God, to give it to him. For Gene and I, we started at 10. I'm going to set aside this percentage. I'm going to start at 10%, and I'm going to give it to God. I'm not sure where you need to start at, where God has you at. I'm going to leave that between you and God. 
But I do want to encourage you to start somewhere. That you would combat your complacency, combat consumerism, combat your entitlement with gratitude and giving back to God, recognizing it as a gift and not forgetting to name his faithfulness. And I, we are so grateful for every person that responds to God and becomes a giver by giving back of their resources to him. And I could kind of tell you what, more about what God has done in our life to do that, but I actually want to invite a friend up uh, who I love and has been a part of this church for a couple of years now and who very simply but very joyfully and powerfully gives to God regularly. So will you help me welcome Allie Griffin up to the stage, please? Hey, Allie. Hello. What happened? Um, Chicago won this winter, and I fell and broke my hand on the ice. It's the worst. I know. I wish I had a cooler story. I wish you were in a fight club yeah, or something same. like that, but That's all right. The plain reality. Next time, say fight club. Next time. Okay. Uh, so you've been at Soul City... About three like years. three years. Yeah. yeah, I remember when you first started coming. Yep. That's right. And there was a... So, I mean, I, I know you because we're friends. I know the story. There, there was a switch for you where you said, okay, I want to become a giver. Right. And, and why don't you tell us what, what the switch was or when the switch was for you? Sure. Um, I had been a gripper for mm. a long time. Uh, I'm a teacher. I work hard for my money. My job is hard. Mm. I, the, the bucket would go by and I would just be like, see ya. You know, yeah. like that's so, I, I don't have enough money for that. Yeah. And I, I loved this place, but I'm like, whatever. They're just, I don't know. It always looks great, whatever. Right. <laughs> and so I, I wasn't worried about it. And... I had a friend who knew me well and was asking me questions about like, so how do you give online at Soul City? And I'm like, yeah, I mean, it's on the website, but I didn't even tip. Like I didn't give it all. So right. I didn't want to lie. But at the same time, I'm like, yeah. go, go on the website. And I was really convicted because I'm like, this person hmm. like didn't have a question. They 100% thought, well, Allie will know. And I didn't. Hmm. And so it like really made me think about am I who I say that I am or portray mm. that I am? And it was mm. like a real healthy dose of guilt for me to mm. be like, listen, I gotta, I gotta at least start doing this and see what happens. Mm. And I did. And so you did. So you actually went online the same way you told your friend to go online yep. and start giving. Yep. Figured it out. <laughs> yeah. I figured it out. Well, good. That's good. That means your yeah. instructions to them were probably correct. Yeah. So that's good. So user friendly. So you began doing that about how long, <laughs> about how long ago did you begin Giving faith, would you remember? I, Can you call? Probably a year and a half. It's been yeah, a little while. Yeah, and I and I love it. I love that you're a teacher. I love actually. This is what Allie didn't tell you. What I love is Allie's actually a teacher at Brown Elementary, which is a school we've been partnering with since day one as a church. And God provided a job for you at Brown, and so you were there fighting the good fight every day at Brown and loving those students that we love and those teachers that we love so much. I, I think it'd be good for you just you know, to explain, okay, in the last couple of years of saying, I'm going to be faithful to respond to God's faithfulness. What has he grown in you or what has he shifted in you or changed in you because of it? Sure. When I first started working, I had a different sort of mindset than I do now. I was just like, you're welcome, Chicago. Here I am. I'm just, you know, coming every day. Because you're a teacher. Kids. You're like, right. I've, I've done enough. I right. taught your kids. Like this is, yeah. it's hard, you know? Yeah. And I started to obviously God was transforming me. I started mm. to change and started mm. to realize like, wow, <laughs> this is actually a gift that I'm being given because mm. I'm changing and growing so much from these kids and from how much I can, I, I give to them mm. and how much more I get back. Mm. And so once I think I started to realize my, my job is actually a gift is when mm. I realized, well, so are the things that come along with that, like wow. my finances. So wow. that really was a shift for me. Yeah. 
And how, have you, so how is it personally then that God has sort of grown you from that day? Like what's different about you today that wasn't true of you back then? Right. I, I really trust him with my finances. Yeah. I live in the city. I don't make that much money. I still have fun. I have a car. Right. I, I make it work and I shouldn't mm. be able to do that yeah. or that's not how it seems. Yeah. And I do. And I, I'm very comfortable and yeah. it, that it's awesome. You yeah. know, I, I wouldn't have expected this for myself. I yeah. wouldn't have. And so it's, it's only God that that I happens. So since I've started giving, I honestly haven't noticed, like, I don't have this big, like, well, I can't do this this month. It's right. Or if I have, it's not something I miss. That important. Right. Yeah. God continues to provide for exactly. you. Exactly. Well, I love it. Well, you make it work really well, Allie. Thanks. And so we, can we thank Allie for, uh, <laughs> And what I love about Allie, again, you know, teacher here in the community and just saying, man, I just, this matters for whatever. This matters to me and to my life and to being who not only I say I am, but who God has actually invited me to be. That if I'm ever going to live a life of, of generosity, I have to start somewhere. Because no, nobody ever drifts into a life of generosity. No one just wakes up one day totally grateful for everything. It takes you starting from somewhere and then having the daily disciplines or the regular routine to say, okay, God, I'm going to do it again, and I'm going to do it again, and I'm going to do it again. And for us, that's why giving online has been so important for us, and Ali talked about that. Like, that's why that's so huge for us and for our family is because, honestly, it helps us do that faithfully and consistently. It helps us go, we're just not even going to mess with this, God. And you may be kind of in your head going, well, what should I give off the gross or should I give off the net? I don't know. That's between you and God. <laughs> sort it out. The bigger thing is your heart saying, I'm going to do something. I'm going to start somewhere. That a life of gratitude actually can begin today with me saying yes to God and not forgetting his faithfulness. And so what we want to do is actually give you a little bit of a challenge. It's called a 90-day giving challenge. And we as a church want to challenge you to take God up on it, to put him to the test as he invited you to do, to see if it's possible for you to outgive God, to see if it's possible for you to be more faithful to God than he has been to you. For 90 days to say, okay, God, I'm going to do this thing that I actually want to do in my heart, but maybe for whatever reason of being a gripper or a tipper, or I, or I never even knew that I could. And so it starts with me today. And so I'm going to ask you to do something that we rarely do around here. I want to actually ask you to pull your phone out. Did you pull your phone out? Everyone go ahead and pull your phone out right now. And the first thing you need to do is put it on vibrate. And the second thing you need to do is not open apps. And the third thing you need to do is actually open your text dialogue. And here's why. I'm going to ask you to open up your little text, dealio, whatever it is on your phone. And to help you get involved with taking the 90-day challenge, to actually step into the life that God longs for you to live, where you set aside a percentage to give faithfully and joyfully and consistently to him, we're going to ask you to send a text. In fact, you can actually text this number, 77948, 77948. And all you have to do is include 90 days, that's no space between there, 90 days, and then just include your email in the subject line. So text 77948 and all like no space, 90 days, and then you can do a space and put your email in. And here's what's going to happen. We're going to automatically withdraw $1,000 from your bank account <laughs> and put you on our mailing list and spam you all week. 
This actually doesn't do anything other than remind you to live into the life that God's invited you into. When you text this number, what it's going to do is it's going to text you back with a link to go to our giving page, Soul City Church, and to read about the 90-day challenge and to sign up after you've prayed and asked God, where, where do you want me to start? To sign up and begin today. And we'll send you an email because we know how forgetful you are. We'll send you an email. We're not going to bug you because ultimately we trust you to listen to God and to respond to his faithfulness. So you just text 90 days, again, no space, and your email, and we will do whatever we can do to help you get started. Here's the deal. If after 90 days of you faithfully setting aside a percentage and giving to God, if after 90 days you have not been more aware of God's faithfulness and provision in your life, if you have not seen God grow your heart, if you can't come out at the other end of 90 days and go, I'm still here and I'm okay, and if you are not at that place at the end of the 90 days, here's the deal. You can stop. Like, we can't. You can stop. We're not the boss of you. You can totally stop giving if you want to. We just want to help you start tonight. So we want you to text this number. And we're going to email you. And we want you to pray about where you're going to start. For us, it was 10%. Maybe you're like, I've got this kind of debt and this kind of commitment, so I can't start there. But God, maybe you'd want me to start at six. Or maybe you can go, I think I can do more. I think maybe, maybe you've been giving for a while and you've gotten real comfortable. Maybe you need to pray what Gene and I prayed and say, God, would you, would you want us to increase what we're given? Would you want me to increase what I'm giving to you? And the 90-day challenge is for you for 90 days to give more maybe than you've ever given before and just see what God does. Now, next week, we're gonna talk about what you do with the other percentage, okay? What? how you sort of live in a way that kind of honors God and how you can actually begin to plan instead of reacting to your finances. We're going to talk a little bit more practically about that next week and what the Bible has to say about that. But for tonight, we want you to seriously pray and consider taking a step of faith and doing this 90-day challenge and just seeing what God does to grow your heart and to grow his church. And you know, the, the only way, the only reason that this is even at all possible for us is because of what has actually already been given to us. See, the whole idea of giving back means that something, it implies that something's been given to you. And because God is faithful and we're forgetful, every month we carve out some time for us to remember the reality of Jesus. To remember that there was actually an exchange made for us far greater than anything we could ever possibly imagine. That the reality of Jesus is he made an exchange where he took our sin upon himself and in exchange gave us forgiveness and freedom. He took our shame upon himself and in return gave us hope. He took our old and dead life and in exchange gave us new life in him. See, the only reason we could ever possibly give back to God is because he has already given everything to us. He has yet to hold back from you. In fact, the Bible says that God loves so much that he gives and gives and gives. And the greatest gift that God has ever given us is his son, Jesus Christ, who made the ultimate exchange, his life for ours. And so because God's faithful and we're forgetful, Jesus gathered his followers, his first disciples around him, just hours before he would be betrayed by one of them, denied, 
by one of them, arrested and falsely accused and led to a cross that was actually the plan all along. He gathered them together and he said, friends, the most significant thing in human history is about to happen. And you're going to forget. You're going to miss it. And he said, I don't ever want you to forget this. And so he took common elements. He took bread and he broke it. He said, this is like my body. It's broken for you. Every time you see bread, I want you to think of the bread of life, me, broken for you, that God actually came to be with you, physically with you. And then he took wine and he poured the wine. He said, look, every time you see a glass of wine, I want you to think about the blood of Christ poured out fully and freely for you. Not only is God with you, but he is actually for you. And he sent his son to make the great exchange, his life for yours. And I don't ever want you to forget that. And so as a church, we stop every month and remember, because Jesus said, do this often to help you remember me. And so we're going to spend a few moments remembering and responding to Jesus. We've got stations set up here in the front of the room where you can actually come and take a piece of bread that reminds you of the body of Christ and dip it in the cup, which reminds you of the blood of Christ. And just take a moment to thank God for the gift of Jesus Christ, the gift that changed everything. And the gift that we pray will literally change and transform your heart and your life and even your finances. And so I want to pray for us, and we're going to sing a song that tells the story and the reality of what Jesus has done for us. And we're going to remember, and we're going to respond together. So let's sing right now, or pray right now, and then we'll respond and sing together. Jesus, thank you for the reality of who you are and for what you have done and are doing. Thank you that it's not only you who gives to us, but you forgive us. You've not only given us everything, God, you've forgiven us of everything. And all we need to do is come to you and confess our sin to you and that we might actually be free. We might exchange our sin for forgiveness. Thank you that that's available to all of us at all times through your son, Jesus Christ, whom we choose to remember and celebrate. God, thank you for your faithfulness. Help us to see it more, God. Help us to take you up on the invitation you've given us to not forgetting, but to being faithful in response to your faithfulness. God, I pray that you would move and grow our church up now over these next few moments and over these next 90 days. God, we pray this all through the body and the blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So I invite you to come. We have gluten-free stations over here on the left if you need it. Come and respond at the table.